The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Tonight, I'd like to speak about the, the theme that we are working with for this particular week, which is working with happiness. So during this week, we are investigating ways that we can explore happiness. And I'm going to start by coming at it from the angle of suffering. (laughs) Many people in coming to a spiritual practice come because there's suffering in their lives. There's some sense that, isn't there a better way to live my life? The Buddha said that an encounter with suffering either leads to bewilderment or to search. And because all of you are here, I presume that you're on the search side of the equation. And what we are usually searching for is a way out of suffering, a way out of the mess we find ourselves in as human beings. At the core of this search for an end of suffering, the core of this search for a way out is a deep and profound wish for happiness. It's a wish that we all actually have for ourselves. And some of us may have more difficulty touching into it than others. But it is there in all of us, this wish that we be happy. And this deep fundamental wish for happiness is a wholesome wish. It's a skillful wish. And it motivates us to engage with practices that support the cultivation of happiness and the letting go of suffering. So in the Buddhist tradition, there are the Four Noble Truths, which very succinctly express both sides of this equation. The first two noble truths are around suffering. The truth of suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, and the actions that the Buddha suggests taking around these two truths are to understand suffering and to let go of its cause. The third and fourth noble truths are about the possibility for happiness, for freedom from suffering, for happiness, and about how to go about cultivating that. 
But much of our practice, actually, it seems, ends up in this area of understanding suffering. That's a lot of what we work with in our meditation practice. The mindfulness practice, as we sit in our meditation, we meet our resistance, our frustration, our anger, our irritation, our wanting, and we're instructed to pay attention to it. And we learn over time as we engage in this practice of bringing mindful attention to our suffering, that it is a support for us. We start to learn that engaging with our suffering in this way, we begin to get a little bit of space around it. There's a little bit of lessening of the intensity of the suffering. So we start to see We experience that this understanding suffering is a pathway towards letting go of suffering. And we start to experience little moments of release, little moments of freedom from suffering, which are experienced as a kind of happiness. And sometimes we are so engaged in this process of working with our suffering of meeting our suffering, that we think that's all this practice is about, is just suffering, 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 over and over again, meeting suffering, meeting suffering. Hopefully someday I will experience a little bit more of the happiness side of it, but mostly what I'm feeling is all of this frustration and anger and irritation and annoyance. And while I do see there's some space around it, but but there's kind of we're focused on the, the... the suffering rather than on the space around it. So sometimes we forget that the teachings actually include both sides, the suffering and the happiness. There's a teaching around working with our experience the teaching on right effort, that also includes both sides of the equation. The teaching on right effort includes the side of cultivating the wholesome qualities, the beautiful qualities of mind, and it includes the letting go, the abandoning of the unwholesome, unskillful qualities of mind. So I'd like to focus tonight on this happiness, this side of right effort, which indicates that it's fine to actually cultivate happiness. We can take a pathway through our practice, which includes a cultivation, a, a direct cultivation of happiness. So much of the habits and patterns and conditioning of our mind, everybody in here has various patterns and habits that you're familiar with. Some people may have habits of frustration, irritation, annoyance. Others may have have habits of worry, of planning. Others may have habits of fantasizing. 
But whatever it is, we, we, we all have some way that our mind works that we're very familiar with and tends to get us caught, tends to get us stuck. And if the least little thing happens that's anywhere in the vicinity of that pattern, it's like a ball drops into a rut and we're in it. These grooves are worn very deeply in our minds. The neuronal, the, 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 the connection of all the neurons in our brains are wired to fulfill those patterns and habits. And so in that process, we, we kind of construct and understand our experience through those familiar patterns. If it's a pattern of anxiety, irritation, annoyance, whatever that pattern is, when we have a habit like that, we tend to see the world through that filter. So the least little thing happens and boom, well, there's annoyance again. There's irritation again. There's frustration again. So in that process, we end up at times missing the fact that we actually experience happiness more often than we're aware because we're so attuned to our habits and patterns. We miss things that aren't in line with those habits and patterns. So some of us, at least, may miss the fact that happiness is happening to us. Actually, relatively regularly. So one of the things to do to work with happiness is to see if you can incline your mind to recognize various flavors of happiness. There are various flavors of this quality. Contentment, happiness itself, delight, ease, joy, even peace is a kind of happiness. So we can start to realize that these mind states actually happen to us. They're more present than we thought they were. The Buddha has, one of my favorite sayings of the Buddha is, whatever one frequently ponders, that becomes the inclination of the mind. So if we frequently ponder our irritation, annoyance, frustration, that becomes the inclination of our mind. If we consciously try to reflect on happiness, it will support happiness becoming more of an inclination in our minds. So I'd like to talk about different kinds of happiness, different ways that it's felt, different ways that it's experienced in our normal lives, in our everyday lives, and through the practice itself.
First, I want to talk about what we usually think of as happiness, what we usually do to find happiness, which is to try to get what we want. And we think that this is where, where happiness arises from. If I get what I want, then I'll be happy. And we know, we do know that that kind of happiness only lasts a little while. But that's all that we can imagine that happiness is. And so we, once we've had that hit of happiness then we just think, well, what's the next thing for me to want so that I can get that so that I can be happy? And what's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? And we think that constructing a series of getting what we want, that is happiness. That's the best that it can be. If I just can successively get what I want arrange my world to be the way I want it, get rid of the things I don't like, keep the things I do like, then we'll be happy. And we're in this continual process of trying to rearrange the world over and over again because the world changes. This is a rat race. This is like a gerbil in its cage running on this wheel just continually trying to arrange the world over and over again. It's exhausting. It's completely exhausting. So this is not the kind of happiness that I'm wanting to encourage you to explore. <laughs> well, to some extent. I mean, I mean it's, it's interesting to look at what we think of as happiness. When we get a little hit of that feeling of happiness, of, oh, I've got what I want. You know, I... I got just the car I want. How long does that happiness actually last? A few weeks ago, I think, I talked about the gratification of sense pleasure, gratification, the danger, and the escape from sense pleasure. So this is an exploration around this kind of happiness. How long does it actually last? A new car, it might last a couple weeks, anytime you think about the car might last even as long as a month or two. But it'll, it'll fade. That happiness will fade. And then there'll be the desire to find something else to want so that I can get another hit of that happiness. This is kind of like, you know, shopping mind or something, you know? It's like a catalog comes in the mail and you flip the pages thinking... What do I want? You know, is there something I want in this catalog? Just wanting to want. So our usual understanding of happiness is focused around, often focused around sense pleasure and constructing our world to maximize sense pleasure. And that's about for most of us, before we meet any kind of spiritual practice, that is the best we think it can be, is if I can arrange my world to maximize sense pleasure. 
this kind of happiness tends to result in the in in what I think of as happiness as being a zero sum game because usually it's about consuming it's about getting things having things so it's it's about this consuming things and and the more things that i have the less there is for someone else and i know when i first started practice I had this very deeply held belief that happiness was a zero-sum game. That if I was happy, it meant somebody else was unhappy. If somebody else was happy, it meant there wasn't happiness for me. So letting go, if we can let go of this pattern that we have around our usual way of looking at happiness letting go of this wanting, letting go of the uh, trying to construct the world the way we'd like it to be, paradoxically, this, this kind of opens us up to an awareness and acceptance of things as they are, and we can come into the present moment just with what is. And paradoxically, this opens us up to a more skillful happiness of sense pleasure. The happiness of simple sense pleasure. The pleasure of just being in the moment, walking down the street, feeling the cool breeze against your cheeks, hearing the sounds of birds, or even motorcycles and cars and horns and trains. There's just a being in the present moment can just be this rich, beautiful experience. This kind of simple sense pleasure is hard to hold on to. If you you engage in the world with this way, you see that this kind of sense pleasure is just very fleeting. It just comes and goes very quickly. But there's a kind of happiness that can come through the meeting the world in this way and touching the sensuousness of the world. Feeling some of the happiness of sense pleasure in this way. So there is a skillful kind of happiness of sense pleasure that comes when we stop clinging to experience and stop trying to construct the world the way we'd like it to be. This kind of happiness actually can help to bring us into the moment. And this kind of happiness happens a lot for us through our day if we are open to it, if we are kind of attuned to the possibility of meeting the moment, we will experience the happiness of sense pleasure. We'll experience the softness of the breeze, the warmth of the sun, the pleasure of seeing the water dripping off the trees, reflecting the light after the rain. 
Very simple, simple sense pleasure. So notice this kind of sense pleasure. Notice the happiness that comes from it. Notice how when you are in that state, it impacts your mind. When you come into the moment and you meet the world in this way, there's a kind of a relaxation in the mind and a meeting of, in that meeting of that sense pleasure, there's a happiness, a delight, a pleasure. So noticing this kind of happiness is skillful. It is part of our practice. It supports our ability to come into the present moment. And the Buddha says that the happiness of sense pleasure is the least of the happinesses that are possible. There are many greater happinesses out there. He talks of the happiness of non-harming, the happiness of engaging in the world, engaging with our fellow human beings ethically, with this commitment to non-harming, our heart begins to respond to a connection with our fellow human beings. If we engage in harm with others, if if we engage in actions that create suffering, either for ourselves or others, there tends to be, and I'm sure you know this feeling, a spinning in the mind, a remorse, a feeling of, why did I do that? Or what is that person thinking of me now? So there's suffering that results in our own minds when we harm somebody. And then there's the suffering that results in that other person. So the happiness of non-harming is called the bliss of blamelessness. That when we engage in the world ethically, we can be confident in our intentions and know that our intention is not to harm. And this supports a kind of happiness. The kind of happiness that is free from that spinning mind, thinking about all the things that I've done wrong. If you engage ethically, that spinning mind can relax. So reflecting on non-harming can help support this happiness of non-harming, the bliss of blamelessness. Knowing that we are behaving ethically so much we, we look at ethical conduct as 
something that's supposed to point out when we do something wrong. And then we tend to, as Westerners, beat ourselves up about that. But a good part of this teaching on non-harming is meant to support this happiness. That when we engage in this way, it can make us happier. And it supports the happiness of our fellow human beings as well. As we connect with other human beings in this way, through this non-harming, our heart opens. And there's the feeling of connection. The feeling of connection is another kind of happiness. The metta that results when our hearts are open, when our hearts are not contracted and closed, when our hearts are open and we meet other human beings, we wish for them to be happy. And that wish for them to be happy is actually happiness producing for ourselves in an interesting way. It's kind of surprising. It was very surprising to me when I realized that in my own experience that when I wish for happiness, it generates a a feeling of the opening of the heart that is happy. It's a lovely, open feeling. So this connection through ethical conduct opens us up to a connection that's even broader and deeper. This connection of metta, of loving-kindness. We can, we can uh, cultivate the metta through the practice of loving-kindness, the actual formal practice of loving-kindness, which I'm not going to describe now, but it's a, it's a kind of a reflective practice, actually, wishing thoughts of well-being for ourselves and for others. But there's some kind of less formal ways that we can engage with this connection in our daily lives And that's really what I'm emphasizing, the kinds of happiness that we can touch into in our daily lives during this week. So I'm not going to talk so much about the happinesses of concentration and that kind of thing tonight. But we can touch into this connection with a simple smile. It's amazing to me how a smile can connect. If you if you smile at somebody and they smile back, it's a lovely interchange that produces a happiness in the heart. You can do this anywhere. Do this at the grocery store. Grocery stores can use as much happiness as, <laughs> as they, they can get. <laughs> Do it on a walk. Anybody you meet, even if you don't know them at all, if there's eye contact with that person, a smile will often result in a response of a smile. I don't force eye contact on people. I mean, that that feels a little much. but, But if somebody does make eye contact with me, I like to try this, smiling. See what it does to your heart to receive a smile. It lasts 30 seconds, 40 seconds, longer than I thought it would. 
a smile. So connecting, finding ways to connect, even really simple ways, can support this cultivation of happiness in our lives. Imagine thinking of going to the grocery store as a place to practice happiness. You can set your intention that way. You know, all we have to do is reframe our experience, turning our minds towards happiness. Then there's the happiness of letting go. I talked earlier about how we rearrange the world. We so much, very often we're in a state of wanting things to be other than they are. This is the recipe for suffering. Things are not that way and we want them to be that way So there's this misalignment between the truth of what is actually happening and what we want to be happening. As we engage in this practice, we start to understand that the way to happiness is to align ourselves with the truth of the moment. Things are as they are. The real suffering is wanting them to be some way other than that. And if we can align ourselves with things are as they are, with things as they are, there's an inherent happiness that happens in that alignment. Now it can be a subtle kind of happiness at first, not one that feels quite so satisfying or gratifying as getting what we want. But this is essentially the happiness of non-reactivity. The happiness of non-reactivity. Of not reacting to things as they are. Instead being just in balance and able to accept things as they are. Now this process of letting go, cultivating this happiness of letting go, often happens in stages. At first when we see this misalignment with reality, we see we want things to be other than they are. Often what we we notice at first is just that we want things to be other than they are. And there's it feels like there's not much we can do about it. We react to things. We're angry. We're frustrated. We're frustrated. So frustrated that things are not the way we want them to be. And we can notice that frustration, but it doesn't go away. I mean, noticing it, just simply bringing mindfulness to it, noticing it doesn't just make it go poof like that initially. So that's the first stage, is is just beginning to recognize, oh, yep, I'm frustrated. And this is where a leap of faith is actually necessary in terms of beginning to engage in this practice of letting go. Because it feels so counterintuitive to turn our attention to that frustration instead of just 
trying to figure out how to get what I want. But over time, as we do this, we begin to see maybe a little bit of space. We know that we're reacting, but, but we see that there's a little space around it. I often use this analogy of, of looking through the filter of frustration. So it's like I've got the, the sunglasses of frustration on, the, the gray glasses of frustration on. And at first we just know that we're looking through those glasses of frustration. We know we're looking through them, but we don't know how to take them off. And then after a while we figure out how to actually take them off, and then we can look at them. We can know the frustration and not be looking through it, but instead we're recognizing it. Oh, this is just frustration that's happening. So instead of looking at the world trying to realign it, we are in line with the frustration that's happening in our version of the world. So we're not fighting that anymore. And when we stop fighting that frustration and just are willing to meet it, there is a kind of, oh, I don't have to fight this. I don't have to try to get what I want, and I don't have to try to get rid of this frustration. It's just something that's happening right in the moment. So there's a kind of an alignment with the truth of the frustration itself. So there's a way that we have some space that we can observe it. And there is a happiness in that. If we are able to connect with it, it's hard at times to notice it, but I'm pointing it out because it's definitely there in the practice. As we engage in the practice, even of the practice of looking at our suffering, there are many, many moments of confidence, of happiness, of even joy in the engagement. We understand that this process is leading us to the freedom from suffering. It's leading us towards greater happiness. And as we understand that this is heading us in the direction of greater happiness, it makes us happy. Kind of a paradox, but it really genuinely makes us happy and joyful. I have felt that. It's like, oh, there's my anger. What a great thing that I'm seeing it. Thank goodness I'm seeing it and I'm not caught by it. It's a huge shift when we make that change in our practice. Then there's a subtler kind of happiness. There's a happiness of not suffering. So this is a kind of a subtle kind of happiness. You know, just see if you can recognize when you are not suffering. A lot of the time we um, are hooked by thinking that things either have to be really great or that we have to get rid of the difficulties in our lives. And that that's how we kind of gauge our experience, as if there's all these highs and lows in our life. We kind of actually go from the highs to the lows. We swing between these highs and these lows. And we think we'd like to maximize the highs, but but really, you know, rather than being someplace that's neutral 
We prefer the lows, too. It's like if we land in a space where there's just nothing happening, not much happening, that's a hard space for us. We don't tend to appreciate its qualities. So I'd like to suggest that you see if you can notice moments when there's not much happening. This kind of experience a good time to play with this experience is stopped at a stoplight. Stopped at a stoplight. There's not much going on there. Unless you are really late for an appointment and you're really frustrated that the light is red, which may happen to you. So you might want to see if you can engage in the practice of driving by giving yourself enough time to get where you're going. So you have the opportunity to play with this being stopped at stoplights <laughs> and see what goes on for you when there's not much happening. Just check in. It's just very, very subtle. You know, there's not, not much greed happening. There's not much aversion happening. Just this... Very quiet, no problem. No problem. Just sitting here at the stoplight. What does it feel like? It's kind of, there can kind of be a subtle peacefulness to it. Very quiet, subtle peacefulness. Another place to check into this is when you finish an activity. Finish eating before you get up to clear your dishes, when you've finished bathing. Just see if you can slow down enough to catch a moment between doings. What's happening in that moment? Peace can be a very subtle feeling. So see if you can just check in and recognize, oh yeah, not much happening here. What does this feel like? We often get bored in that space. Can you take an interest in the quality of no problem? So just as a kind of a review, cultivating happiness We can cultivate happiness by noticing it when it happens. Noticing the flavors of it as it arises. Get familiar with the various feelings of contentment, delight, happiness, joy, peace, pleasure. Notice when these happen. Can you incline your mind towards recognizing happiness? Noticing the causes and conditions that support you being able to notice happiness. That's really helpful. If you notice that, like I just mentioned, rushing creates conditions that prevents you from feeling happiness, see if you can slow down. Get enough rest. Meditate daily. All of these things tend to provide a little bit of a container in our lives where we can have an opportunity to notice these moments of happiness a little more frequently. Mindful awareness is a great supporting condition for 
noticing happiness. And the promise of the Buddha is that this practice will lead us to great happiness, the great happiness, mahasukha in the Pali, which is the complete ending of suffering. It's interesting to me that the definition of the great happiness is the ending of suffering, the letting go of suffering. And this practice steadily cultivates our capacity to feel happiness more and more deeply. Not just the happiness of sense pleasure, but the, the deeper happinesses of connecting with others and letting go, aligning ourselves with the truth of the present moment. So thank you for your attention.